This is a Pensioners for Independence podcast uh, organised by our Edinburgh and Lothians Pensioners for Independence group. They asked George Gunn to come and speak to them. George was brought up in the village of Dunnet, up in Caithness. He still lives in Caithness. He's well known as a playwright with over 50 productions for stage and radio. He has been writer-in-residence for the Orkney Islands Council and the Scottish Poetry Library in Ullapool. From 1992 to 2010, he was the artistic director of Grey Coast Theatre Company, which he co-founded, and he's produced several series for BBC Radio Scotland and Radio 4. Julia Laurie, the co-convener of the Edinburgh and Lothian's Pensioners for Independence group, just asked him to start off by telling them about himself, and thereafter, she says, we sat in our homes completely mesmerised. So hope they enjoy this. About to start now. Anyway, welcome everybody. This is going to be a slightly different meeting for us. Uh, a fairly famous man is speaking to us today. I've told you lots and lots about him. And for those for, for those who weren't here earlier, Daniel has his book, The Great Edge, um, which we've just finished and loved. I think it's quite I think it might be quite difficult for me to read. Actually, it's not got big words in it. Daniel right. had to really concentrate on this book, didn't you? Well, Jean, that's that, this has got nothing to do with reading, but one of the things I found with this impact of being locked down and not being able to get out and communicate is I'm finding that my ability to focus on reading a book has faded dramatically. Really? And it, and it took me two weeks. To, took me two weeks to read your book, George. It took me a lot longer than that to write it. <laughs> really? <laughs> of course. Okay, well, we're going to put our camera and audio off now and it's, you know, just say whatever you want to say and when you feel you've said enough. Before you go, I mean, does everybody actually know who I am and what I do? Is that, is, is that what? I'll just, uh, I'll just tell you what I do, because maybe that's right. the thing. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll charge on then. Um, well, I mean, I'm sitting in Thurzo in the north coast of Scotland looking at this screen uh, so the reason I'm here I think is that uh, people have maybe read what I write on Bella Caledonia uh, I write a column for Bella every month more or less um, about whatever comes into my thick head uh, about um, Scotland and of course the whole thing about Bella Caledonia is that it's a, a, a website a magazine a publisher that um, has a dialogue about, you know, the Scotland that we live in and the Scotland that we want to see, you know, hopefully that we can leave to our children and, and you know, it's a discussion forum. So uh, I'm, it's, it's one of the few places that you'll get a very broad range of opinion uh, from the Scottish left about uh, independence. Uh, I, I really admire Mike Small, the editor, because he takes no prisoners, but he also takes no, you know, he doesn't take ridiculous positions on anything. Uh, so it's been interesting uh, lately with the business between uh, Salmond and uh, Sturgeon, and his his attitude is just to let them thrash at it, you know. And there's more important things to, to be discussing uh, than that. So my view is that, you know, I, I, I look at Scotland, the country that I live in, and uh, 
I mean, up in the north coast of Caithness, which is where I live, you, you have a particular perspective on the world. You know, we, we, we're, we're even by Highland standards, we're, you know, on the edge of, of uh, Scotland. So everything, I mean, I live in the most northerly town in Scotland. Everything on the mainland of Scotland is south of me. Um, so I write about that. I mean, that's that's what my poems and uh, are all about, really. And fundamentally, I'm a poet, uh, and I've always been that since I was at the primary school. Um, and I'm just I'm a poet who writes other things because I've had to earn a living. So I write for the theatre, and I write. I used to write for the for the radio, BBC Scotland. Um, which is now a different station altogether. Uh, I would say that it's now Radio North Britain. But um, being, a, being a writer in Scotland, you have to uh, be quick on your feet and you have to be able to do what's necessary in order to you know, tell a story and also to, to, to live. Uh, our family uh, is a very classic I suppose uh, Caithness family my mother's people are from Wick uh, and her her mother was a fish cutter and her father was a cooper he made barrels and uh, that's what what they were and she uh, trained in Rotten Row in Glasgow as a, as a nurse and a midwife and that's what she did uh, here uh, she, we lived in the village of Dunnet uh, probably have heard of Dunnet Head, which is the most northerly point in the Scottish mainland. So my father's people are are farming people, crofting people, and uh, that's the other side of Caithness. So that's that's the two things that make up this community is 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 the sea and the land. So he was a a, a farmer's boy, and uh, latterly had a croft himself. So they were sort of like you know. Like every everybody was like that, you know. We were we would we didn't think of ourselves as abnormal or anything. So we lived in, you know, my brother and I. We grew up in the village of Dunnet, which is a small place, uh, very traditional place. When I was a, a bairn, the whole place was crofting. Everybody, it's all crofting. Uh, everybody had ground that they worked, and you know, we cut peats. And we, we did this and we did that and we thought nothing of it. But now, of course, Dunnet is a totally different place. It's now a suburb of Thurzo. Um, so the thing about Thurzo is that it, it's another uh, sort of strange phenomenon of history in as much as uh, there's eight, for where, for where I'm sitting, there's eight nuclear reactors uh, eight miles away from where I'm sitting. And uh, they're all being decommissioned, of course, uh, because they've all uh, passed their sell-by date. So, but the thing about what, what Dunry meant to Thurzo was that the population, uh, well, it quadrupled, you know, like uh, the population of Thurzo now is, is, is over 8,500. And, you know, that's like a lot of people. I mean, in central belt terms it's not a lot of people but in north highland terms that is a lot of people 
Um, and they came from all over the place. You know, they came from uh, all over England, you know, shipyards and, you know, various universities and stuff to work at, at Dunry. So Thurzo's got a population is, is just a, an amalgamation. It's a sort of hodgepodge of all sorts of people, you know, from the, from the mid fifties right up to, to now, you know, like when I was at primary school, you know, come from Dunnett, there was only 20 of us at any given time in the whole school. So there were like four in my class and it was a typical Highland school. So then I went from that to come to Thursday High School where there was over a thousand pupils. And that to me was like going to Hamden, you know I mean? It's just a huge amount of people. I couldn't, I'd never seen a thousand people before. I mean, mind the first day at assembly, uh, the very first day at Thursday High School, and there was, you know, the, the hall was packed and I'd never seen so many people before in my life. <laughs> I couldn't quite believe it. I don't think I've ever got over that actually. Uh, so there, you know, it's it's a kind of schizophrenic uh, place in many ways. But as everything else, time goes on. So uh, you know, the the, the nuclear uh, thing. You know, the reason that Dunry is where it is is because it's a research and development plant. It's not a power station. That's what the BBC keep calling it. You know, Dunry's consumed more electricity than it ever produced. And uh, the reason that it, it's a research and development uh, institution is, is, is exactly why it is where it is. Because if it went bang, uh, so what, it would just only wipe out a few hundred of us, you know. So it's a long way uh, from what the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority would call civilization. It's a long way from civilization. So that was fine. Uh, but anyway, what it did was for this neck of the woods was it provided employment so you've got a kind of strange nuclear bubble uh, it's a bit like uh, living in an episode of the Simpsons that's gone on for like 70 years <laughs> you know and I often wonder where the, the makers of uh, the Simpsons got their idea of uh, a nuclear facility in a, in a small town and the people are called Simpson because Simpsons a very common name here <laughs> Uh, so you know, they must. Matt Groening must have had some. He must have come to Thursday at some point in his life. Uh, but that's what, what it does for me as as a as a as a writer. All that uh, what I've been describing is is subjectivity. It gives me something to write about, and, and that's what I write about. Um, and it, it, the interesting thing about. Um, the north of Scotland is, is is the attitude to to art in general, which is quite different from uh, a lot of other places. For example, um, we we have you know like it, come from the village of Dunnet, you know it's very much a Cayley culture. Uh, it's a participatory culture. Everybody did something, so you either played the fiddle, which is a big thing here or you played the pipes, which is also very big, or you sang, which is also a good tradition, or you or you, you recited a poem. So I was no musician, and the easiest thing for me was to, was to do a poem. So I was just not known as, as Dodd the Poet. That was, that, was my, that was my name, you know? So, it, and it, there was, I never, I've never understood 
uh, all this middle class angst about being an artist because where I come from that just doesn't they don't understand all that you know uh, and I, I think it, for, for me that that's a very good thing because what it does it's, it's a, it's a democratization of ability you know whereas culture isn't something that you, you, you must aspire to you know it's not a thing that's on the high shelves you know John McGrath always used to talk about the cultural jewels being on the high shelf and we must aspire to them and basically my philosophy is that you just take the cultural jewels and kick them down on the floor so everybody can have a shot and th that's basically my idea of of democracy is that that it's a participatory thing and and when it becomes managed and uh, you know uh, facilitated for you you know so that you, you don't participate in it it's done for you then that's that that's a that's a, that's a dangerous thing I think and I also think you know if you think of ancient Greece and uh, the birth of democracy, you know, the idea or the word even, the demos, uh, it was concurrent with the birth of theatre. You know, theatre and democracy go together. Uh, one depended on the other. Without democracy, there's no theatre. Without theatre, there's no democracy. And and I that's why that's what attracted me to uh, the theatre. And it's it's very interesting. I think like if you think of my mother, who was the the, the the daughter of a fishwife and a cooper. Her brother, George Moore, he got a scholarship through the Herring Board, would you believe, to go to uh, Edinburgh University to study classics. And uh, his, his other brother, Leslie, also won a scholarship through the Herring Board. And the idea was that they would go to the university in Edinburgh uh, term time and then they would come back to work uh, and work in the Herring Board office as clerks. And that was fine uh, theory, but the thing was that how they got to, uh, how they got from Edinburgh to work was that they walked. <laughs> they walked from Edinburgh to work. It's unbelievable. You wouldn't hardly think about it these days. But they, they thought nothing of it. Uh, the world was different then, of course. Um, but Having said all that, my Uncle George, who became, uh, he was the head English teacher at George Watson's of all places in Edinburgh, and he was one of the founder members of, of the Traverse. So when I was a, a P.D. Lynn, uh, my mother would go down to see her brother in summer holidays. So George Moore used to take me to the Traverse, you know, to see things that I had no idea what they were. I couldn't understand them. But he, 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 he was a founder member of the Traverse in 1962. So from a very early age, uh, I got taken to see stuff by, uh, by my Uncle George, who was uh, a, a brilliant man himself. Um, and he used to take me into his house in uh, Warren Park Road there, one of those big flats. And uh, he would take me in and he would get all my stuff and hear all about what was going on in Kithness and then after about an hour of that he would put me in a room and he would give me a copy of Bertolt Brecht or WB Yeats and a can of McEwen's <laughs> just, to, just to, to prove to me that he treated me like a grown up and I was left there for an hour 
to, to read the poems and drink the lager and then he would come in and ask me questions about it and I thought you know that's an unusual thing but the point about all of that is that's that's how I would define love you know what I mean that that's love so uh, I'm, what I write about is is about you know I, I'm a great believer that you should write about what you see and what's in front of you uh, and you shouldn't be afraid about if it makes you unpopular um, because that's the risk you take as a poet you know if you, if you tell the truth everybody will love you or or the other or the other thing might happen everybody might kill you you know what I mean they might hate you uh, but I, I believe my mother was a great believer in telling the truth you know she she, she was an absolute uh, ardent you know she just said I don't I just want to know what's coming she was a, a nurse for God's sake you know she was a midwife she delivered children her, her slogan was uh, she used to say I've, I've scalped the arse of half the parish that's what she used to say and it was true it was true uh, so you know I was I was brought up with with this you've got to tell it like you see it even if you're wrong it doesn't matter it's better that he's 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 you write it as you see it and that's what I've always done and that's uh, got me where I, where I am you know which is I'm now 65 years old and I've, I've published 10 books of poetry and I've just finished my second novel and you know I've had over 50 plays done and blah 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 uh, but that's what that's that's just what a working writer does in their lifetime you know I mean that that's what you do uh, and you know, if the thing about coming from the north of Scotland is that education is is always my mother and my father both told us this from day one. Education is the way out of poverty, and uh, we were always uh, told, you know, shown that you know we were always given things to read, you know. My mother and father weren't bookish by any means, but they understood that to read books, you know, was 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 a was a way to open your mind and you know, because they wanted us to get on. They, they, you know, they had this 1950s, 60s idea of getting on. You know what I mean? Uh, my brother went to university, but I never did because in 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 the, in the North Highlands, you know, the the, the eldest son. Uh, was the one that was sent to university the youngest one nothing was much expected of you so in many ways it was quite liberating I wasn't expected to to do anything but you know uh, anything that you do is a kind of bonus but you know uh, what what's happened is that you know all of those um, quite basic democratic uh, instincts, I think, have been uh, reduced in, in Scotland, which is why I want an independent country to live in, because I want, you know, the, the, the opportunities to be available to all the young ones, uh, no matter how uh, rich or poor they are, you know what I mean? Uh, so that, and you know, like, I, I, had, I had a, I've got a, friend I was talking to and she's an American and she couldn't understand that uh, that people actually the government paid you to go to university <laughs> this was this was a thing that she couldn't quite get her head around and I said yes well that's because 
you know, after World War II, the idea was that you invested in your young people uh, so that they could then go to university. So education was seen as an investment. Uh, and then the payback was what they did with, with their lives after that. Uh, and my own family are absolutely evidence of that. And my wife's family too, uh, from Orkney, uh, Christine's family, the Russells, they're exactly the same. So, you know, it, it's, it's a, what, what we have now, and I think which is, which is killing us, I think, is, is the monetization of everything. Uh, and especially education, uh, you know, because education then becomes restricted to, to, to what you can afford. And this is, simple, you know, it's graphically illustrated in the Highlands at the moment where, where nobody gets taught, nobody in the school gets taught music, nobody gets taught anything. You know, it's just, it's the basic curriculum and then you're off to university and then you get into debt. Uh, so so that's that's not, um, you know, it's it, education shouldn't be about costs because what, you know, what is the reason for, for educating your population? Uh, the reason you educate your population is that you want a country fit to live in. I think that's, that's, that's one thing. Uh, so... What we do now is we don't educate our children, we exploit them uh, and, and we put them into debt, which I think is is a criminal act actually, it's undemocratic uh, and what, 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 it, what it does is it creates a, a, a monetized society, a, a society of usury where everything's got a price and nothing has any worth. Uh, that's why I want an independent Scotland because I want an equitable society where everybody gets an opportunity, where everybody has an equal chance to uh, en enjoy enjoy the potential of their lives. Uh, because you know, it's not difficult. I think uh, your imagination is is efficient. You know, you know, if you let if you like. If, if Scotland can have its own imagination, its own imagination, if Scotland is allowed to dream, then there's nothing that we cannot do. You know, I believe this with all my heart. You know what I mean? Uh, so you know, like young ones come to me and they 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 want to be this and they want to be that, and I said, well, that's good. You know, you can be anything you want to be if you just believe in it, uh, and that's why I, you know, the, the thing about a participatory democracy is, is absolutely vital which is why things like the yes movement for example you know and i was very active in 2014 in the, in, in the referendum campaign and of course was devastated by the result but nonetheless uh what it did show me was that there is there is an alternative future possible uh, and we just have to keep believing it uh, and we can't allow ourselves to be um sidetracked or disappointed because it's not about it's not about me you know it's 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 not about you know an individual it's a, it's the collective thing and scotland is going on a journey and th there's only going to be one outcome whether the tories in london like it or not or even whether the smp like it or not uh, scotland will become independent because that is what the scottish people desire and there's no, there's nothing to stop the Scottish people. If the Scottish people want an independent country, they will have one. And that, 
you know that's what i write about essentially uh is 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 that you know it's it's about the possibility what is possible the art of what is possible that's what the theater is you don't, you don't want to break your heart uh doing things that are impossible you want to concentrate on what is possible you know and i think that everyone has the right to uh write a poem everyone has the right to go out and look at the sea you know <laughs> and uh it's not uh all that difficult i keep telling people you know like like we're i'm sitting in caithness in the north coast of scotland you know uh so like 2000 miles from us is uh, you know are the faroe islands right and they they have a population of 48000 and they've got a very vibrant economy and they are sitting in the middle of the atlantic on extinct volcanoes now if these people can create a a, a livable society uh, which they obviously can then there's nothing to stop five and a half million of us uh, doing the same. I think that's enough for me, from me for the moment. Does anybody want to throw a cabbage at me? For a man who didn't know what he was going to say, that was absolutely lovely, George. And to be honest, you sort of bring me back to where I should be, what I what I should be thinking. It's so easy to get pulled into the minute of political stuff that's going on. But yes, no, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, if anybody wants to put a comment up or if anybody wants to, to chat, then I suggest you just go ahead. Um, we've got from Tony. Thank you, George. You just spoke my own thoughts on a decent society. And Caroline and Keith have said, well, well said, George. There's, there's a story in uh, Dante's Inferno about uh, that they have to send to the underworld to get a poet uh, so uh they, they come back the messenger comes back with uh uh euripides you know mm -hmm. and uh, they're most disappointed because they want they wanted sophocles and they said well where, where is sophocles and the messenger says well he was perfectly happy where he was <laughs> I like it. tell me george what is it like there politically in thurstall where where you live is, is there a lot of chat about politics oh yeah i mean it's a very political uh society here because a lot of the people have signed the Official Secrets Act, and if that doesn't make you political, I don't know what does. Well, you can't go down the common bar now anyway because it's closed, but you know, if you go into the common bar, you can't say to the boy at the bar, how are you getting on the day at your work, Willie? Because Willie can't tell you because he signed the Official Secrets Act. <laughs> but, you know, the point is that everybody signed the Official Secrets Act. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody that works at Dinnery, whether you're a bus driver, a cleaner, and you know one of the one of the questions on the official secrets that i don't have any of you lot have signed it but it says uh have you been or are you a member or have you ever been a member of the communist party as if anyone's going to put yes <laughs> i'm a right i'm a right on member of the communist party mm. well but the thing is there's maybe you call it naivety but i would call it cynicism uh -huh. uh, what, what what that does is uh in, in a place like thurzo it makes it uh, a very strange place because everybody talks about everything else other than what they want to talk about you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh, and and it's it, it's a strange uh system because what it does is because everybody who works at dunry 
I don't mean to generalise here, but it's more or less the case. It becomes a very materialistic society. So everybody's got a job, right? You know, and and they're not the UK AE as it was. You know, it was a job for life. It's, they've now been privatised, so it's all chaos and anarchy out there. Yeah. Uh, but everybody had a job for life, so no, nobody nobody bothered about. You know, everybody had financial security. Everybody everybody had a house. You know, the, the housing estate just out, out from where I live, it's called the Atomics. That's what oh. it's called. Uh, and, you know, the, the, it's the Kobe that called it that because when, when, they, when they all came here in the late 50s, they built this huge housing estate and, and the Kobe had this run. And then, of course, they had this huge boost in population. So the milk run was just absolutely doubled. So there was there was two dips two different types of milk carts and thurzo one was for the locals and the other was for the atomics <laughs> <laughs> so you got atomic milk and you got you know local milk uh but but the point is that you know it, it makes for a, a a strange kind of internal exile in, in many ways uh thurzo because as time goes on the people that came up here to work at Dunry, uh, you, you know, they're they're of a certain age now. You know, a lot of them are dead and all that. Uh, and and the things being wound down. But their children. Uh, the good thing about it is the children have all gone native. You know, they're all natives. You know, they've all got Caithness accents and they're they're all this and they're all that. And um, it's it's you know it's, it's a bit like I suppose it must be a bit like living somewhere. Like in Rhodesia and then in the nineteen sixties, where you live in this sort of enclosed world, you know. And, and but but the problem with, with with all of that was, from my point of view, as a as a as a as a writer, you know, as a poet, and coming from where I come from, it was that uh, the local culture, you know, the, the music and the poetry uh, that, that we produce and have done for centuries was always despised, you know. Because you know that if if it's local, it was always it was always rubbish. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so we we ended up in the school doing all these ridiculous operas and stuff, and we were we were told that you know like that you know like this Shakespeare was the greatest thing uh, on earth, and you know all the English. We got English history, we got English poetry, we got English everything, and I and I came out of school wondering. Uh, what country I was actually in, you know what I mean? I didn't know what country I was in. It's only when I went to places like Aberdeen to work that I, I realised that there was a different Scotland, you know what I mean? There's another, there's another thing out there uh, that wasn't... Uh... And the thing was that, you know, because of... Uh, you know, essentially, Dunry was built on a lie. That's the thing. It was, it was essentially a big fib from the very beginning. Uh, so what what they did out of Dunry was that they they turned uranium into plutonium, and there's only one thing you can do with plutonium, and it's not wallpaper in your house. Let me tell you, yeah. it's to make nuclear weapons, and that's what it's all about. Because there's no such thing as a civil nuclear program in Britain. It's all military, and yeah. if anybody tells you different, they don't. They're, they're lying to you. And now, of course, uh, it's all been decommissioned. So there's lots of stuff on the go. I mean, literally on the roads and on the trains mm -hmm. and on planes. And it's all been, 
dismantled and uh, distributed. So therefore, we also have now got huge military police presence here. Like, mm -hmm. a wife will come in from Ray to go to Lidl's to do your shopping, and if and if the plainclothes military defence policemen don't like the look of her, you know, Fiat Uno, whatever the hell, she'll stop her, you know, and then they'll search her, you know. And what sort of society is this, you know? <laughs> it's just a lot of rubbish. That's horrendous. Well, mm. that's, that's the reality of it. I mean, but, you know, politically what it means is that there is a kind of, uh, it's a bit like living in a Roman uh, garrison. The rest, most of Caithness, especially Wick, is SNP, right? The, I would say the closer you get to Thurzo, uh, the more liberal democrat it becomes. But to me, that just means that they're all Tories, you know what I mean? That's all they are. Uh, and of course, Jamie Stone is the MS, he's the MP for Caithness Sutherland and Easter Ross. Whereas Gail Ross at the moment is the MSP for Caithness Sutherland and Ross, the whole of Ross, right? Mm. And uh, the, the Liberal Democrats have got a stronghold in, in, in the west of Caithness. Uh, but again, that's that's changing as, as, as people, the demographics go through time, you know what I mean? Mm. The, young, the younger ones... Uh, they're they're not going to vote. I mean, what, as as somebody once said to me, what is the point of voting for the Liberal Democrats? <laughs> you know, what is yeah. the point? <laughs> you might as well just go and fucking jump in the sea. You know what I mean? It's a waste of time. You know. <laughs> so politically, it's interesting uh, how things have changed, and it's not necessarily. I would say that the mistake the SNP make, I think, in in somewhere like here, is is to mistake what. The, their popularity for the popularity of the SNP, and what I think is more uh, optimistic and is, is a fact is that people want an independent country. They're not so interested in the SNP. They just see the SNP as a means to, yes. get, to get in that. You know what I mean? Because mm. basically, basically, all all the people who are younger than me, they, they, they're not interested in the Queen. I mean, there was this cult up in Caithness for a while about the Queen Mother. You know, because she had the Castle of May and all the rest of it. And you know, there is an element of, of the military, you know, like post-World War Two, you know, the British Legion and all of that. Mm. And to the extent you respect that and all the rest of it. But that's all changed now. You know, there's, there's a whole generation who've never heard of the Queen Mother. So the, the, what they want is a sort of utilitarian uh, republic, I think. That's what they want. Some mm. Something that functions so that they can get on with their lives, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and I think this is a good thing because one of the things that uh, I reacted against uh, when I was a bairn was the deference to the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority. And the word there is authority. You know, it was, it was you, you, were, you were made to think that you have to be, uh, you know, you have to pledge allegiance almost to this authority when, when actually it was, it was so foreign to hear it. I, even during uh, the Second World War, when there was a lot of military up here, uh, as you can expect, with you know Scapa Flow just across the the Firth, there was never that uh, thing. And of course, you know, one of the things that they always uh, get us on 
And I can see it, uh, a similar thing with the spaceport up in Milnes, is it's all about jobs, 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 oh, we need the jobs, you know what I mean? So I think, well, do we really, do we really need to make, you know, to create something that at the end of the day just creates like two and a half thousand tons of nuclear waste? Is that really what, what we're about? You know, is that, is that as good as we can get, you know? And, you know, I was speaking to somebody about this spaceport in Melnus and they were saying, oh, we, the place needs jobs. And I said, well, you won't get a job, you know what I mean? Melnus has got a really good tradition of crofters and fishermen, but uh, space technicians is not really what you know <laughs> place is known for. And you will get if you get if you're local and you get a job at the Melnus spaceport, it'll be as a security guard on a zero hours contract. That's as good as you're going to get. Aye. And that's reality. And and basically what we've been fobbed off on here is. It's just jobs, 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 and if we've swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. And you can hardly blame people, you know. You, you can't blame people for wanting uh, security and, you know, standard of living and all the rest of it. But the problem, mm. is, the problem is that for Caithness, for the north of Scotland, that for 50, 60 years, that's been the only option. And what that's meant is that there has been no investment in alternatives. Yeah. You know? And and doesn't matter what happens, Caithness and the north of Scotland will always be about farming and fishing. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand the place. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, there's there's a whole town here uh, of eight and a half thousand people, and the the, the problem is that they're they're all going to you know we're, we're going to suffer depopulation. That's what we're going. That's mm -hmm. that's just a fact of life. Uh, so what are we going to do about that? So what the Highland Council do and the Scottish government do is to try and ignore it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like you know they, they always remind me of um, you know like the, the the Aboriginal people. Similarly, there's a story that when uh, Captain Cook came first to Australia, the, the people didn't see his boat because it was too big. It's only when they got in, the only when they got in the rowing boat and rowed a bit further to the shore that they actually saw them, uh -huh. and that to me is, is a bit like what the Scottish government are doing here. They're trying to they're trying to ignore the reality. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And the reality is is the fact that we're losing what we're, what we're losing is exactly the people we need to keep, which is the young, clever ones. They're all leaving. You know what I mean? Right. We, we need to keep them because otherwise we don't have an economy. I, uh, I I do agree with you, George. Um, I don't think the SNP listen to the actual people on the ground enough. I think they're still very much on a neoliberal track, and uh, they just they don't listen enough to the people. But we do have some comments we'd just like to read out. Caroline and Keith did ask: Did the newcomers in the lose some of the Keithnessishness? The town but you've answered that already when you told us about. Um, the atomic people, which is very, very good. The thing is, you know, Caithness is like everywhere else in Scotland. I think, you know, uh, if you stay here long enough, just you, you, you're a native. You know what I mean? We, we've never been. We're, we're always a a, a culture that uh, accept accepts everyone. You know, like my, my wife. I mean, she's hilarious. 
she she's from the island of Rousey, but she looks like uh, an Italian gypsy. She's got hide on her like a wind bush, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> everybody says, where where the hell did you, where did you come from? And she's says, Orkney, and they burst out laughing because she looks like, you know, she should be singing, you know, uh, uh, some sort of song or something, you know. And uh, I asked uh, her mother, uh, Anna, uh, who's a link letter from Wire, I said, look, what is it about Christine? Because, she, you know, she's, she's definitely got Romany Gypsy or something in her, you know. And uh, she says, well, charged by, you never know what washes off the back of a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so something washed off the back of a boat, and it wasn't the postman, anyway. Very good. You'll, you'll see that Tony has 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 agreed with you on this question of education. Uh, I'm, I'm now writer in residence with the Life Arts Centre, and, and uh, one of the things I'm, I'm doing is a, a project. And once the schools get opened up again, and you, you can actually go and go into a school, uh, and I always want to do things, in, especially in primary schools, because I feel much more comfortable in a primary school because you know. I've, never really left one really still my level you know what i mean but i feel really sorry for the bairns because they don't get you know i was talking to my pal just yesterday you know he's he's he works offshore and he you know he's, he's a wee, wee bit younger than me just a few years but they, they don't get what well, even the things that you know we got out of school they don't get it anymore you know and i feel really sorry for them because education should be about stimulation you know, it shouldn't be just hammering things into them so that they get through the curriculum and, you know, it's, that's not education, that's just, you know, that, that's just, that's a, that's the Pink Floyd album, isn't it? The brick on the wall, you know? Okay. But but they don't get any stimulation, you know, like, I've got a, one of my best friends, Gordon Gunn, the fiddler, he, he used to spend almost all his time in, in schools teaching people how to play the fiddle. Other than going to Plockton, he doesn't do that anymore. And that's just that's just a that's a monetary decision. You know, if you don't teach children how to play music, what sort of bloody country are you, are you going to produce? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I want bairns to play the fiddle. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know, I want them to be able to understand the difference between Rob Down Mackay and you know Robert Burns. And I, I don't want them to go around live their entire life not knowing anything. Mm. I'll tell you a story. Uh, this, is, this is just practical education. I um, worked for the UHI, you know, the University of Highlands Islands for a while, and I started up a drama course, right? So I got, it was never going to be a big thing, but it was only for uh, uh, HND. So uh, it was basically two years. And then they would, they would, the idea was that they could go off to the, the RS cmd or you know the conservatoire as it is now and they would come out and I, the first bunch of ones i got out of thursday high school and they were all like sixth year and there was six of them so i sat them down and i said right we're, we're going to you know we're here to do uh about playwriting so we're going to talk about playwriting oh what's that right so so i said well you know the thing is you're all from Caithness, right? You're all from Thurzal. Uh, and they knew nothing. I mean, I was asking a wee bit of basic geography, right? 
I looked out the window and said, what's that called out there? And none of them could tell me that it was done ahead. I thought, so mm. what I did was I went to see Roddy Murray, the Janney at, at the college and I got the minibus <laughs> and I put the whole lot of them in the back of the minibus and I drove the, I drove them up the top of Dunnett Head and there's a viewpoint up there. If you've ever been there, you'll see it. And you can see the whole of the north of Scotland on a good day. Some days you can't see bugger all, but that's just the way the weather is. So if it was lucky for me, I got them all up there on a good day. And I pointed out everything uh, between uh, Duncansby Head in the east, all along Merkle, Dunnett Head, right along the coast to as far, we could almost see Cape Wrath in the far west uh -huh. and all the mountains. And I, I said, this is called that and that's called that. And this is called this and this. I said, this is, this is where your education begins, right here, right yeah. on this island. Because if you don't know that, you know nothing. How can you go around uh, performing plays uh, to a Scottish audience if you don't know anything about your own country? It's just ridiculous, you know? Mm. And I think, you know, a, a, a basic education, a cultural education, uh, a knowledge about your own culture and your own history and your own geography uh, should be you know, a human right. Mm. And then, then you're fit to go out and perform in front of people. But un until you have that, then, you, you know, you... You're not fit. You're just lying to them, and it strikes me as well as that uh, Scottish theatre, which is I used to work in quite a lot, but not so much now, is run by people who don't think that a knowledge of their own country and its culture and history is important. Yes, and I just think that's. I, I mean, if you go abroad, right? I was I worked in Sweden for a while uh, up in Vister Boten at the. Sheffield Theatre there and I worked there for two, three months and I said to the manager there, I said, he said, what's, what's Scotland like? He said, you're always moaning. I said, well, there's a lot to moan about, you know what I mean? There's a lot to moan about. And I said, imagine if all your Swedish theatres, now this theatre I was working at was a bit like Eden Court, you know, it's the same idea as Eden Court, it's the same mm -hmm. size as Eden Court. Uh, and it was, uh, Sheffield was a uh, a university town and it had a very young population a population of something like i don't know three quarters of a million or something anyway it's right on the baltic uh, and i said imagine if all your theaters were run by germans and he looked at me he thought i was from outer space i said that would be unthinkable i says well welcome to scotland <laughs> you got to be careful with all of this, of course, because you don't want to go around sounding like some kind of racist, you know what I mean? You don't want to sound like that. And it, it, it's what I think is, is uh, I'll work, you know, my philosophy is I'll work with anyone. Like, for example, the two who are now at Life Art Centre, uh, they're both from Manchester, and they're absolutely brilliant people uh, because they understand that their entire uh, existence depends on local people coming through the door, right? So mm. what they put on, uh, or what they did before lockdown, which is now a year long, you know, uh, it, that ha has an absolute, they, they've learned the hard way, you know, that, you know, what, what, what you put on tells a lot of, t tells a lot to your audience, you know, like it says, like a lot of what goes on in Scottish theatre, what it says to people is, this is not for you. 
you know, this is not for you. This is only for a select band of, you know, uh, the inculcated. Uh, so, you know, uh, so they've learned now that there has to be a local, you know, a, a strong local identity. And it's, it's not just about, you know, it's not about identity politics. It's about cultural experience and about trying to use that in order to, you know, well, in, in their in their instinct instance, it's to try and run a an art centre, which is not easy. Running an art centre anywhere in Scotland is not easy, but running an art centre in Caithness is not, you know, not easy times two. Uh, so you know, it's not it's not really about where they're from. It's 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 what's in their heads that's important, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and. And a lot of a lot of people come into the arts in Scotland, and what they do is they they use it as a, a springboard to go somewhere else. You know, what I mean? and, uh, and, that, and that's a pro it's a problem. It's a, it's very much a problem, mm -hmm. but it's not an insurmountable problem. I don't believe there's such a thing as an insurmountable problem. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> we've got a couple of comments from Janet Fenton. And Janet, I don't think you've joined us before, but I could be wrong on that. When we get independence, the SNP will fall back into its constituency part, its constituent parts. Yes, hopefully. Yes, that'd be good. And she also says, I wish we could get the unions to discuss what work we need for a fair equal Scotland. Thinking about the North Sea, you know, uh, and the oil industry, which I worked in for a, for a bit, uh, well, quite a long bit, actually, uh, 10 years. It's far too long. Uh, anyway, uh, the point is that... Um, one of the reasons I worked in the North Sea uh, oil industry for so long was that I worked for a Norwegian oil company called Jebsens. The Jebsens are a very small drilling company, but they're a very big shipping company. Uh, so what happens in Norway is that uh, there's one big union for all of the workers. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a, a fitter turner or a sparky or a you know, a laundry steward or whatever, or, or working on a drill floor, you, you, you join this union, and it's the offshore workers' union. It's a bit like the Wobblies in America, you know, the one big union. And it's mm -hmm. the only way to represent people in such a diverse working environment as, as, as the oil industry. It's the only way that's equitable and fair. Now, the difference between uh, Britain and Norway is that the union representative for the offshore workers' union has a permanent seat in the Norwegian cabinet. <laughs> That's the difference, right? Now, the interesting thing about uh, the, the North Sea was after the Piper Alpha, which is just the time I left, the Offshore Industrial Liaison Committee got together and they wanted to form just exactly that, one big union for all the workers in the North Sea. And they wanted the STUC to recognise them. Uh -huh. And the STUC refused because all the trade unions felt threatened. Ironically, the only body that recognised the OILC was Thatcher's government. For, for us, I, I, I was one of the founding members of the OILC. To us, that was like the arch enemy. You know what I mean? That's, it was just, but the, the, the weakness was in the division of the unions. And yes. the, gov the government knew that if they have if all the unions in the North Sea 
were, were competing against each other, then they could control them, you know. Whereas yeah. the Norwegians, they don't have that anxiety. They, they think, well, you know, uh, we're all in the same boat, you know, and, and that's why they're a prosperous country mm-hmm. and they're essentially a colony. Janet, did Janet, you want to say something? I put in the thing about security because uh, um, I think it's very much at, at the heart of a great deal of this. And I mean, I, I think one of the things that was really wonderful about the last referendum was the degree of engagement that there was across the country. Yeah. And the way, in, I mean, I had a, I, I, I like telling this story, so I'll tell every story about going into Morrison's uh, and there were two wee boys aged about eight or nine and they're standing at the fish counter in Morrison's and uh, <laughs> I don't know whether they were waiting for their mother or or what but they're looking at the fish and one of them points to a fish and says do you think that's a Scottish fish and the other <laughs> one says it's only ten and the first one says because we'll need to ken because once we get our independence We'll need to buy the Scottish fish to improve the economy. <laughs> <laughs> These two weekends, it was absolutely fantastic. But I, I know that, I mean, I was going around punting nuclear disarmament right, left and centre everywhere that I could get anybody to listen to me. Uh, and uh, but, but one of the things that I was really aware of was that when, it, when people started talking about the kind of Scotland they wanted, they weren't thinking in the context of the kind of system that we're familiar with from Westminster. They weren't even thinking of what they see on the telly from America. They were actually envisaging something where they could raise their eyes to the hills and actually really dream on about what a country could actually be like. Mm, and yeah. I really, really hope that we can restore that now. And when I said about the SNP falling back into its constituent parts, I'd, I'm not trying to have a pop at the SNP because actually, it, I mean, it's a good thing it's there, you know. Um, mm. But that's not really the point. Um, the, the point is that we get to choose and that we get to tear it all up and actually start from scratch. So uh, myself and some other Peacenik Anoraks have been kind of looking at the the overall discourse and the way in which security is really misrepresented. People talk about security um, and they, they mean crap jobs, doing stuff that endangers people, or else they mean razor wire around buildings, or else they mean uh, burglar alarms that will make a horrible noise in the middle of the night if some impoverished person is trying to shelter and sleep rough behind your bin, you know. That's not security. I mean, I think things like the baby box are security. I mean, and, and what George was saying earlier about the, the, the wonders of the 1960s and, and free education and the fact that you could could grow up and expect to go to university, you know. Um, that that's that those are the you know uh, a sort of universal lighting system that n- nobody had to pay for having a phone system where nobody had to pay for it 
I mean, why do we pay for phones, for God's sake? You know, I mean, it's it's just a bit of infrastructure that we could manage. Well, it's, it's interesting you should say that because uh, it, it's, you know, I've got a friend, uh, Andrew Slimman, who used to go on about, uh, he said, your problem, Gunn, is that you suffer from conceptomania. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, but, but the thing is that... Uh, it's all about uh, how you view it, right? So, uh, for example, when I was when I was working in Sweden, uh, if you're a young in in, in uh, Westerbotten, which is Sweden's divided up into eight counties basically, and there's you know Stockholm is its own thing, but there's eight counties. So, you, if a young couple get married, you know they get a house, and uh, nobody is homeless. Uh, very few people are homeless, yeah. and. Uh, that, that Swedes have this idea that they want to keep people on the ground, you know, keep keep them local. So if you get a house, it's not just a house, but what they have in it is electricity and all the all the things that you said. But they also have, uh, you know, internet. It comes as a thing that they have, you know, like water, you know, electricity, the internet, uh, and and it allows people uh, and uh, you know freedom because they don't have to. Well, they, they pay for it in their, you know, generally their taxation and their rates and all the rest of it. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's the internet uh, broadband is seen as a, a social service. It's not seen as something that you have to buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's that's a perception thing that uh, in Scotland, we, we, we've sort of lost that uh, business uh, because, you know, what, what, you've, what you've got to, you know, what, what I've, suggesting one of the things about you know starting again is that you know we should be a facilitating society where we enable people to to live you know uh, and, and to create a free society you need you need certain tools to to do that you know uh, and, and and if you if you if you see everything as 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 a, as a, a if you monetize everything then you know you're basically killing yourself. I think, especially for us, a small country like Scotland, because uh, you know uh, we're we're only five and a bit million people, and you know it's small enough, a small enough unit uh, to actually be a practical thing. You know that's what I was saying about the imagination is efficient. You know we can create a society that works and it doesn't have to be brilliant it just needs to work i'm enough of an engineer to understand you know like your tractor doesn't have to look all that bunny as long as it gets up the hill with the pipes on the back it'll be fine you know what I mean? right. uh, it just has to to, be, to to work and education for me is at the heart of this because uh if you educate your population then you're allowing the imagination a chance you're giving the imagination a chance to flourish, you know, and, that, and that's and that's what we, that's what we want, uh, because you know, like, I, I mind talking to a, a there was a there was a, a Sami singer came to Caithness uh, a few years ago called Mary Bonnie. I don't know if any of you people know her, but nope. uh, she, she the the her folk they have got like we've got sheep and coos and that, but they've got reindeer, right, and they've all got uh, their herds and. I said, so how many reindeer do you own? She says, none. I said, what do you mean you don't own? She said, no, they, they own us. <laughs> we just follow, we follow them. <laughs> they don't follow us. <laughs> and I think that's that's it, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, we, 
and one of the problems we have here in the north of Scotland, and I think it's germane to the whole of Scotland, is this business of ownership, because uh, it cannot be right and fair that one individual who lives in Thursday East owns 78,000 acres. That's not right. It's just not right. Uh, because all that means is that somebody else doesn't own, you know, and, and who owns the land in the north of Scotland is fundamental to every, anything that we've got to say about the future. Right. And there are those people who say, well, it's not about who owns the land. It's about how the land is managed. And I say, yes, of course, it's about how the land is managed too. But ownership, uh, why is it that a, a, a Danish uh, clothing Iraq on tour who inherited all his money from his father can own 26 Scottish estates, which he cannot do in Denmark. You know, if you've got, if you've got more than six acres in Denmark, you have to go to agricultural college. And if you don't go to agricultural college, they take the land off you. <laughs> That's the difference. You know, here in, in Scotland right now, if you've got enough money, you can do what the hell you like. And that's the problem. And I see it every day here. You know, it's... Uh... Rida has done a new film of Estonia. What struck me most about it was the, how very young the parliament was. And I actually think our parliaments, not just down in London, but up here, they're so steeped in the way... Britain and so many of the neoliberal countries run. They're so steeped in it. I don't think they can see anything else. No, not we, need, we need you to be their vision for them, George. And as for the land, every person in Scotland wanted that sorted with a land value tax. Every single person. And it should have been attended to by now. So I think we're well, going to just mention a couple of the public chats here. Daniel, do you want to just yeah, say a couple yeah. of things? Isabel was talking about, you know, young people and... Uh... Education in Scotland, are, one of the good things that we're seeing now is that our youngsters have grown up seeing a Scottish Parliament, no matter what we personally may think of it. So they can't see the point of Westminster, and hopefully a lot of them don't see the point of royalty. Mm. So it's, it seems to be, and we find this, of course, in our campaigning, it seems to be the elderly... Isabel's put the very old, but I object to that because I'm... <laughs> because I'm getting on a wee bit, and <laughs> we, who seem to be stuck, remain stuck in the WW2 ethos, and we all see that, and I can't abide it myself. Caroline and Keith um, have, have, have stated a, a question which I don't know how to solve it, but how do we get away from this reliance on the monetization of our lives? How do we change people's values about what their lives are worth? I'll throw that one at you, George. <laughs> well, I think I think uh, I think it's it's you know it, it's it's a philosophical question, and, and you know the, the, there is no easy answer to it. No. But I think you know, like uh, uh, you know, the, the society that I came from uh, was it, it was it was I'm not meaning to romanticise it because it wasn't all you know. It was just a, a, as a village in the north of Scotland in the 1960s, you know. Uh, but the point was that it was practical. I mean, that's the thing about it. it it's practical uh, in as much as 
like my mother was a district nurse, right? So she was out in the boot in her car, uh, and either my brother or I were with her. Sometimes the weather was bad, and you had to ride shotgun with the nurse to get shovel her out of snowdrifts. Uh, but anyway, the thing was that the, we lived in this uh, house, and there was like there's all council houses, but there's four of them, so there's like eight houses in a row. So and all the bairns. Uh, went to the local school, you know, they all went and done it primary school. So we sort of grew up together, you know. And we didn't really understand this demarcation about class. We we were just all the same. It was people. And if if my mother was out, for example, we used to get shunted next door to Molly Guess and she would feed us. And if she wasn't a feeding us, you know, we'd be stuck up the road till uh uh Maggie Gunn up the top would feed us. And we were you know that was the same for everyone. And, but there was a state of mind, you know. But now, of course, that state of mind, I think, has been shattered because uh, it's very much a, a society that's about possessions and about um, material and, you know, it, 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 it's all about this and that. But ironically, you know, when you think about it, uh, the, the, the business of actual money is losing any meaning, you know. Uh, like how many people uh, these days go out and actually use money and coins and notes and stuff? Uh, so you know the idea of money is, is changing. You know that whole idea is changing, and, and about what, what what's what's worth something. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just I think that you know we have to understand that the whole notion of what's valuable and what's worth is is fluid it's not fixed in in stone you know because you know i i it's a great example it's just thinking about janet's story about the fish but i was i was trying to explain till uh primary three and and crossroads school and caithness and they look out on that head and i was i was i was trying to explain to them about how sandstone uh, comes to, into being and what flagstone is and the fact that uh, Dunnethead used to be a, a desert a, and it's now a petrified desert and the flagstone that's underneath their feet when they walk along is the re resid re you know it's it's deposited of a, an ancient sea that was about the size of the Mediterranean but actually was down on the, 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 the equator and it's moved because the, the tectonic plates of the planet move. <laughs> the bears, the bears are looking at me, so I'm making this all up, you know. <laughs> and I says, "It's mad, isn't it?" And she said, "Aye, it certainly sounds mad." <laughs> but I said, well, "That's how it happens." And I said, "Oh, mate, that's, that's amazing." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, well, it's just the way it is, you know what I mean?" Like if you if you uh, if you crack open a bit of flagstone, any flagstone in Caithness. Ten to one, you'll find a fish or something in it, some insect or a plant or something. Okay. It's fossilized, and that's that's time has been trapped. So you know the, the idea of what what's worth and what's valuable and all the rest of it changes. So I can't see any reason why uh, a future society in an, in an independent Scotland can have a totally different viewpoint on what's what actually is. You know what is valuable and what's what's got worth on it, you know, and it might not just be that it's material goods that are uh, what everyone should aspire to. You know, I mean, it might be something else. Um, you know, 
who knows? I can't actually say that I know what's going to happen in in in, in the in the past in, in the future, but I know what's happened in the past. For example, I, I've I've been writing a lot about the Tati famine, uh, 1846, 1847, 1848, and uh, it's amazing uh, how that came about because. You know, what happened was that, you know, the people were cleared out of the inner straths and they were put onto the edges of, of, of Sutherland and Caithness and the worst ground. And then they had to grow, you know, they were reduced to growing tatties. And of course, when the blight happened, then that was their staple crop gone. So mm. poverty uh, and famine happened extremely quickly, you know, and it was very vulnerable. And the Church of Scotland went around telling people that it was their own fault. Right. You know, this was the, this was the the fact that um, you know they were so sinful that they had to suffer uh, you know famine, and and it's it's interesting because one of the things I, I found was that a boy from Dunnet he was a he worked on a merchant man and he he traveled he sailed all around the world and he would come home. And one of the things he, he brought back from Copenhagen in 1847 was one of the first editions of the Communist Manifesto published in, it was written in Danish. It was, you know, it was a Danish version. And that found its way to Dunnet. <laughs> and it was a bright yellow pamphlet, you know. And I thought, how bizarre, you know, that the Communist Manifesto <laughs> can find its way to Dunnet in 1847. And it's, it's written in Danish. And the boy could read it because he half his crew were Danish, so he, he could speak Danish because he had to. You know what I mean? So oh. we can learn how to live in the future because yeah. we have to. <laughs> we have to. You're right. That's You're an excellent. Right. That's an excellent explanation and thoughts on that. <laughs> we've got some, We've got one or two members who want to just make a couple of comments about education. Oh, so. Right. Margaret tells us that cuts to music education is down to the local authorities, not the Scottish government, that they have control over. I know that, but I mean, God's sake, every time there's a budget reorganisation, there's some fool from the Murray Council who wants to shut the libraries. Aye. Yes. Yeah, God help me, you know. I know. So that's going to, you know, we can't, you know, and, and Caithness, what they do is that uh, it's hilarious. Every time there's a Highland Council budget cut, uh, they, they want to shut all the public toilets, right? So we shut. We can't read and we can't pish. So what? What are we supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> They've closed ninety nine percent of the public toilets in central Edinburgh. In fact, the whole of Edinburgh. Oh, I mean, if I, if I want to go for a pee anywhere between here and Portobello, it's, I'm going to have to chat in somebody's door or pee in somebody's garden. The, 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 the women in Thurso are brilliant. Uh, uh, several years ago. Uh, must be about ten years ago now. Actually, uh, the council had this idea that they're going to close all the public toilets in in Thurso and you know all, all around the north uh, and Caithness. And the women spontaneously uh, organised themselves. This is young women with bairns, and they organised themselves uh, and they got a petition, and they held a demonstration, and it was called "Pish in the Street." That's what it was called. <laughs> And it was very, very, very effective, let me tell you. Because as the women said to the chief executive of uh, Highland Council, what are we supposed to do? Pish in the street? 
and and the, you know they, they then relented and they opened up the toilets but that's yeah. that was a very good example of direct action you know i thought it was, i took my hat off to them brilliant that's what it's about isabel who was a teacher said um she, she reckons that education varies very much where you are and in Freeston Galloway there's lots of trad musicians have visited primary school teaching ukulele whistle etc with trad songs they have produced some of our best young singers Emily Smith Robin Stapleton Claire yep, Hastings. I totally agree and and in, in the Highlands we've got the fish which is a great thing the fish is a revolutionary movement but the problem with uh, it is that the Highland Council won't pay musicians to go and tutor in schools anymore, and that's a fact. Yeah, but the point is, you know, uh, it's all about decisions, right? Yes, I understand that uh, the Scottish government uh, are not responsible for everything. They give money to local authorities, and then they have to make decisions. But generally speaking, as far as culture and education is concerned, as far as the Highlands is concerned, they generally make the wrong decisions, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they get, I mean, there's only one place I would say that you get a decent traditional musical education in the Highlands, and that's in Plockton. And because that's the traditional, that's the centre for musical excellence. So it's it's a, it's paid for by the government. It's not paid for by the Highland Council. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a school, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a centre for excellence. So, you know, that that's about the only place that, still existent now other local authorities you're quite right uh, do it differently they do it differently in shetland they do it differently in orkney and i'm sure in the freeson galloway is they've probably got a bit more enlightenment about them uh but you know it, it's you know you know what it's like you know the local authority you know they'll cut what they think is not essential right what they think is not essential you know and i think music is essential but, you know, I'm not a counsellor, so. Aye. 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 I mean, because they'll say things like, oh, well, we've got to put, you know, well, they used to say, anyway, they don't don't dare say that anymore. They will say things like, oh, well, we've got we've got to fix the roads. You know, the Caithness counsellors are obsessed by roads. Uh, and, of course, if I got one of them now, I would say, well, what the hell have you been doing for the last year and a half? There's no pothole being filled in and kicking you know you need a bloody tank to get around here you know what I mean you know but it's it's a question of what what you value you know mm. and until until you know the people that we elect have you know are enlightened you know so you know it doesn't it shouldn't be that eight eight Caithness councillors can get together and make the wrong decision continually and repetitively yes. you know oh God they should make the right decision but you know th their values are that you know like they'll they'll want to fill the potholes in the road as opposed to teach somebody how to play the fiddle. Right. Then, then you're struggling. You know, I think you're struggling. But I think you know the, the problem with that is though it brings us back to, to democracy itself. And what I think is the problem uh, in Scotland is that democracy has become, you know, it's it's a it's a, it's a professional thing. You know, like you you. you how how do you get engaged uh, politically in the democratic process? You know, uh, for for ordinary human beings, uh, people not like us. You know, people who just go about their ordinary day. Uh, so it's it's not uh, it's it's not easy for somebody to become uh, politically engaged or socially engaged uh, because 
our society is such that it, you know, you know, the strongest uh, political structure should be the community council, but mm -hmm. the weakest political structure is the community council. Yeah. Nobody's on it because nobody can be bothered, you know. And then you just get guys who want, you know, this sort of that. And, you know, there's a certain sort of psychology at work. You know, we want to be a councillor. And then, of course, in the Highlands, you know, we don't have local democracy. We have everything centred in Inverness, which is from where I'm sitting, 120 mile away, you know. Right. So it, it's a problem. So then then the political process becomes remote. And and I think, you know, what we really need, I think, in, 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 a, in, a, in our independent country that we're going to have is local democracy. It has to be local, and the more local it is, the better, you know. Because mm -hmm. Scotland, I think, as Leslie Riddick has, has been banging on for years, is, is probably the most centralised uh, country there is, you know what I mean? The Highlands, for example. I mean, it's, I mean, Caithness is... Uh, my mother used to say that Caithness was a very big, small place. <laughs> uh -huh. It's a big place. But it's got a small population, you know. We've only got something like thirty thousand or something. Uh, Sutherland, uh, which is our next door county uh, on the mainland here, is three times the size of Caithness, but with a third of the population. Good, you know. Bro. You could right. take the whole of Hong Kong and put it in the middle of Sutherland, and nobody would notice. <laughs> it's it's it's, uh, it's just huge empty spaces. Yes, and. Yes. The thing about that is, you see, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that those empty spaces are anti-democratic. You know, the yep. fact that, that land is empty uh, and unproductive and has no humans in it is undemocratic, uh, yep. and that's a that's a result of a historical process. You know, that the ha things are the way they are because of what's happened, and you know. What, what, what we've got in, in, in the north here is an empty land and what it needs is people in it, you know, because what I believe art is, is people in a landscape. That's what art is. So people in a landscape, you know, that's a democratic uh, situation. What we have in the north of Scotland is an empty landscape, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. Yes, all to do with the land, as you said. Unfortunately, Janet has had to to go, but uh, she wants to make the point that the Duke of Buccleuch owns one percent of Scotland. The Duke of Buccleuch. Yeah. What yeah. I would also say about the Duke of Buccleuch is, you know, there was a, a recent land sale of four thousand plus acres of his land, oh, yes. and, which of course he acquired by means that we did not go into several centuries ago. But he gets three point, I think it was three point two or three point eight million pound. He gets of public funding money. It's a story that Gochen told me about. Um, the this Irishman is walking down his his road in uh, Galway, and he, he meets a landowner, and he says to him, "How come you own all this land? Uh, why don't I own it?" He said, oh, well, it's been in our family for generations. Yeah, but how did you get it? He said, well, you know, we did this, we did that. We fought for it. The boy takes off his cheek. He said, okay, I'll fight you for it. That one's told locally as a Fife minor. Uh, the thing is, though, they, they say about crofting, which, you know, my, my father's people, uh, that's their background. 
uh, they say about crofting that it's you know it's three acres of land surrounded by legislation. Now, there's good and there's bad about that. It, it means that uh, people are, will stay on the land and, and it can't be flogged off willy-nilly, uh, which is what happens. But I, if you want to do anything uh, on, on, on crofting land, you have to prove this and you have to prove that. Now, I would bet you any money you like. If you went up to Lord Thurzo and said to him, right, where's the title? for all the land that you own, I think he'd be hard-pressed to prove that he actually owns any of it. It's, he, he won't have it because he just enclosed it and called it his. And, you know, in, in old Scots law, a uh, uh, claim is half half of ownership. And if you've got if you've got the legal system on your side, you know what I mean, you can claim anything you like. Daniel, can I interject just to ask a question of George uh, verbally? I'm, I'm Keith McLeod, and my wife and I are both community councillors in West Lothian. We have support for a project that we're doing with West Lothian Council from the councillors. And I'm slightly uh, arguing against what you said about the councillors being responsible for not getting things done. Actually, it's the council officials. We're trying to create, create a community garden, and we are getting... Uh, knockback actually from the council officials and bureaucracy rather than from the councillors who support what we as community councillors are doing. And I just think that it's um, sometimes it's easy to just blame the elected officials. Yes, yeah. I do agree, George, that they perhaps are unable to exercise their due um, right as directing the policies of Highland Council in your case. But uh, I don't think we should just take it that they're the ones to blame. The bureaucracy is at, at fault, and I would like to change that bureaucracy. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, and, and, you know, okay, I, I, I take the point. That, I mean, I'm only hard on the, my little councillors because they're mine, you know. <laughs> I'm hard on them because, you know, I know them, you know. Uh, and, I, and, yes... Local authorities are are bureaucratic, and Highland Council is 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 that if it is anything, uh, and I'm sure your one is no different. But they don't need to be. Is, is the point? You know, they don't need to be. Uh, and I think it's true. You're absolutely right as well. You know, you know, there's there's there's, there's individual councillors who want to do things, and then they get thwarted. Uh, Example uh, of the Highlands is that you know there's eight councillors in Caithness and they go to the council meeting in Inverness and there's a uh, hundred odd other councillors, you know. So if the eight councillors in Caithness all voted for something that they want, which they have never actually done, you know, because they're all quote independent, which just basically means that they're all Tories. They then what what they do uh, is that they are they just. They moan off in the press about uh, the, the structure of uh, Highland Council and how it's undemocratic and all the rest of it. And I, I'm saying, well, that's good. You know, I meet Diane McKay and I meet, uh, you know, various other ones. I said, well, what are you actually going to do about that then? You know, how are we going to change Highland Council so that it is democratic? Oh, we can't do nothing about it. So there's a sort of defeatism, you know, and a lot of them do give in yeah. to the to the to the officials, but I, 
mean, I, I, I sympathise with what you're saying because having run a theatre company, I used to have a deal with the officials at Highland Council all the time, and honest to God, you sometimes wonder what what it is that they actually get out of what they do. You know what I mean? It's it's like you know, it's like walking around with sometimes dealing with Highland Council. I often thought it was be like dealing with Ian Paisley. How many times can the word no appear? <laughs> George, what are you working on now? Well, uh, the, re the reason that I um, found out a story about the Communist Manifesto in Danish coming to Dunnet in 1847 was that uh, I'm, I'm working okay. on the story that's set then, and it's called The Vinegar Wind. It'll be the only novel in Scottish literature that's set entirely on Dunnet Beach. I'm working with Life Art Centre. Uh, I'm, I'm now the Caithness Macker. Uh, that's what they want to call me. So I'm going to be doing a thing with the primary schools. Uh, I want to create a, a Caithness bestiary, which is what we're calling it Caithness Craters. So I want the bairns to describe to me all the animals that they see, which isn't a cat and a dog, you know what I mean? But all the different kinds of animals uh, that they'll see, whether they're birds or, you know, cows or sheep or whatever it would be. Especially now because the wild geese are flying north and there's thousands and thousands of them here every day so it's just to get the children to look at their environment and then just get them to use language uh and also i'm working with this this painter helen moore and we're going to get them to draw so that they what they see and they write they write down what they see and they also can draw it and the idea is that we have an exhibition uh in the autumn at life uh, how this is all going to work out i have no idea but that's never bothered me in the past that's what I'm about. Thanks to Caroline of Caroline and Keith that you're here. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, I've enjoyed speaking to you all. It's a very strange world we live in these days, you know. I mean, with these little. Well, if I never see another computer screen, that might be too soon. I'm going to go off now. Is that okay? Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, we'll do it again sometime. You've been listening to Pensioners for Independence podcast, and that was it. That was our Edinburgh and Lothians group with guest, author, poet and playwright George Gunn and it was called A View from the North. If you'd like to find out more about Pensioners for Independence, visit our website at www.pensionersforindependence.scot You can find out what we've been up to over the past year during the lockdown and you can find local groups you might be able to join one. And if you want to, you can also sign up for our newsletters.